Well, good morning, church. Welcome here this morning. It's good to have each and every one of you here today. It's a privilege of, to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Have you got a word, Emmanuel? Just give Emmanuel a moment. I just want to share something with us this morning. Apologies, I was hesitating. But Isaiah 40, in the moment of that worship, came to me. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Frontline and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid off, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged place places plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you for your faithfulness there. Church, before we move forward this morning, let's just commit this time and commit this, this word to the Lord in prayer together. So, Father, we just pray this morning that in the next 30 to 40 minutes of our lives, we will be transformed. As we desire every week, as we gather around your word publicly, corporately, as a body of believers, that, Lord God, we would experience your life-changing power. Father, thank you that you not only save us, but you change us. And you're doing that. And so today, no matter where we may be as believers, may the simplicity of what we're reading strike us, may the depth of it pierce us, and may the reality of your word absolutely transform us. So Lord, we give you this time, we commit this time to you, and we pray this in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen, church. Well, welcome here this morning. It's good to have you here today. And this morning, I want to bring you a message on hope. I want to speak to you about a hope that is unwavering. Hope unwavering because we're living in a time where we need hope. Amen? Amen. Hope seems to be such a rare commodity these days. And if you just look around the world, even just look at the uncertainty that we're facing in our own country, the average South African seems to be so insecure about the future. future. And some people have even lost hope in the future of being part of and living in the country of their birth. So I want to bring you a message of hope this morning. And what does it mean to be a Christian that is filled with hope? And where does our hope come from? Because I have the sense that if we're looking for hope in the wrong places, our hope will never be secure. So I'm going to begin this morning by reading the Word of God in 1 Peter chapter number 1. If you'd like to go there in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter number 1, and we'll read from verse 17. But before we start reading, Peter is speaking to a great host of believers that have been driven out from their life. They've been mocked, they've been ridiculed, they've been scorned, and they've been put under the threat of death for being a Christian. Emperor Nero's persecution was in full force, and Peter speaks to them about living their lives amongst all the turmoil and chaos that is about them. And this is what he says. He says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believing God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope in God, or your faith and hope are in God. So Peter is speaking to those Christians 2,000 years ago that were on the move. They were on the run for their lives, and he was calling them to live holy and dedicated lives. And Peter was telling them that they are to be anchored in the promises and the principles of God, and that their hope needed to be unwavering. And church, that, that word goes out to a Christian culture that was being severely persecuted at the time. Just to give an example of what Emperor Nero would do, he would throw a gathering or a party for his, his uh, acquaintances, and he would take Christians, he would tie them to a tree, he would pour hot wax all over them, and he would light them, and they would be human candles for entertainment at his parties. That's the type of persecution that Christians were under in that day. And if you look at what's happening in our world today, I think, I think we need to hear from Peter again. In the world that you and I live in, because we live in a hostile world. We live in a world that is not only consumed with darkness, but more and more Christians are being, are being persecuted daily for their belief. You know, it's not widely publicized, but Christians are being ostracized and murdered because of their faith in Christ. And Christians are being ridiculed just by saying the name of Jesus or just opening a Bible in public. They've been pushed aside. They've been ostracized. Churches are being put under pressure for their beliefs and, and that challenge the social or gender status of society or, or individuals. And we are being painted as a group of radical people that are against everything that the world now stands for. Yet the world now accepts. But hang on a moment. We're just standing for things that are ungodly. And it's not that we have purpose in our hearts as Christians to be against anything. We're for God. We're for life. And we're for forgiveness. And for, we're for grace. We are for hope and salvation. And we're for the ultimate change that God wants to see in people's lives and in this world. So how can that be wrong? But we live in a, in a world right now, as Isaiah prophesied and as Jesus warned, that a day would be coming when good would be called evil and evil would be called good. And what is right would be wrong and what is wrong would be right. And so if we're going to make a stand as Christians, we'd have to make sure that we maintain our hope. Starting with me that, that we communicate the love of God to this world, but by no means do we compromise. And Peter's audience at the time were people that didn't compromise. They were loving Christians. In fact, they loved all. And in fact, the empire had made special mention that Christians were the most loving people and the most obedient citizens in all of the empire. Did you know that? And so you and I should also be labeled in the same way today. But you see, they wouldn't bow down and confess Caesar as Lord. Instead, they bowed down and confessed Jesus as is Lord, and that got them into to serious trouble. And so we're going to look at a couple of principles today that are just as important now as it was back then. Because the Word of God is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen? Are you there? I'm going to start with this this morning, church. You can write this down. The Christian life is anchored because the future is all about our hope. Let me say that again. The Christian life is anchored because the future is all about our hope. And what's interesting when you get 
a bit deeper into verse 17, you will see that there is a correlation. There is a connection to your hope. The magnitude and your level of your personal hope in God is equal to your reverence for God. Can I say that again? The magnitude of your hope this morning, believer, is inseparably linked to your reverence for God. And I'm going to try and merge those two during the, the Word and the Scriptures this morning. In verse, Peter, in verse uh, 17, Peter says to them, And if you call, will you underline that? And if you call? And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And Peter is contrasting with his opening words to the life that they were actually living in reality. Because remember, they've been persecuted and they are now far from their homes. They're running as nomads. And that's why he opened up the chapter by saying that you're pilgrims and sojourners and foreigners. He says you're on the run, you're on the go. You've been ostracized by your family or your husband. Or your parents have turned on you. You're on the run because of your association with Jesus. And you've been so ridiculed that it's even escalated to the point of violence. So you're on the run. And he turns to them and says, rather than being fearful of what Nero can do against you, or what this world can say against you to bring intimidation and fear, Peter counters that by saying there is a, a type of fear that the believer, believer should have. But what kind of fear are we talking about? Because I don't want to live life in fear. I don't know about you. We don't want to live our lives in fear. You see, there is the very terrorizing fear of the empire or of the nation or of the Antichrist people, which is what it was, and we are facing something similar in today's day and age. But then there's the fear that is the reverential awe of God, right? One is because God is so awesome and so mighty and so, so powerful, and then there's the fear that intimidates you and binds you up. One sets you free, another one keeps you in change. Can you see the difference? And church, all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, deal with, the, deal with the fear of this world that we live in to some degree or another. And if you make it known that, that you're a Christian, you are going to experience the retaliation of this world. But Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And the world hated Jesus before it hated us. You can give the Lord a shout of praise for that. And Jesus said, watch out. Make sure that this world doesn't love you because it only loves its own. You say, I'm going to say it again. Jesus said, watch out. Make sure that you, this world doesn't love you because it only loves its own. The world will hate you because you follow Jesus. And you know what's so strange in this whole equation? The world will hate you because you're loving. Because you're kind and you're fair. And you stand for truth and you stand for compassion and you stand for justice. Right? The world doesn't really stand for that. It'll say that it does, but it doesn't do that in reality. You see, as Christians, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of this world, and Jesus is using you to bring change. So we are to have a great hope, because the hope is all about, the future is all about hope for the believer. The second part of verse 17 goes on to say, referring to the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. So what does this mean? What does this mean in reality? It means that 
God has no favorites. And you know what? I, I think that's hard for us to comprehend. It's, it's almost impossible for us to grasp this because we live in a world of favorites. We only think or we only believe that we are significant if, if we're one of the favorites or if we won at everything or if we, you know, we just strive and we're the best at everything. You see, the world judges according to those standards. But God judges without partiality. And He judges according to the perfect knowledge. Now listen to this church. And makes a ruling based on someone's faithfulness to what was expected of them. Church, it means to make a determination and evaluation that is equal to the ability and the opportunity given to us. Isn't that so powerful? It's a little bit scary, but it's powerful. You see, the Bible, first of all, tells us in the book of Galatians that those who judge themselves among themselves are not wise. Did you know that? Do not, do not judge your situation against another brother or sister's situation. We can't do that. God judges without partiality and He will judge me and you. He will judge us based on the perfect knowledge of your life. And it's going to be according to what you were called in this life to do. Just let that sink in for a moment. Why are you alive? Who are you as a believer? Church, God has called each and every one of us to live a Christian life for a specific purpose that is uniquely you. No one else can fulfill it. No one else can live that. And you know what? It would be wrong for me, as I mentioned, to me to judge my life against your life and, and you to judge my, yours against mine. Only God does this perfectly because He knows what He's placed inside of you to do. And by the way, church, it is incumbent upon every Christian to find out what that is. Each and every believer. And you've got to find that out by seeking Him and asking Him. God, for what purpose have you brought me into the family of God? What is my purpose to the church? And what is my purpose in the world? You seek Him and you ask Him constantly and then the next thing is, Lord, I want to fulfill that plan. Whatever it is, whatever you've planned for me, tell me what it is and am I going to do it? And you may be saying, well, Pastor, if you just showed me, then I'll then I do it, right? But you know what? It's not that easy. There's a process. And here's what God does. Are you ready for it? He's going to show you one step at a time. He's going to show you one step at a time. And I think the problem with us is that we want God to show us the whole picture, right? But we're actually missing out in what is happening right in front of us. But if you're asking the Father, if you're asking the Lord, and you're crying out to Him, He who judges without partiality, He'll respond to you and He's going to tell you what to do. He's going to show you what to do in this moment or for this season. And church, be of good cheer. I have it under very good authority that it's going to be terrifying. <laughs> and it's going to be something that's, that's impossible to you. But you know what? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but you know what? God's going to do it through you so that He gets all the glory. And you're going to be humbled in the process. Church, when God use people, uses people, you can see it. Because they should be humble people. When you see people boasting around that they're servants of God or they feel like they've got this Christian life figured out, something's wrong. 
And you know what? God is supernaturally using you in the church and in this world. And He'll only judge me and He'll judge you based on our response to the opportunities that He brings. You know, this may sound scary to you, but I find this quite comforting because all I'm supposed to do, in fact, is to obey Him when He says whatever He says. And when you do that as a believer, you start to realize there is liberty in freedom when we obey God. And I'm telling you, church, there is no drug in this world that can compare to that. There's no fix or there's no pick-me-up that can match that. It's so fulfilling and it's so exhilarating. It begins with fear, but then we start to walk in, in liberty and freedom. And Jesus put it in this way in John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Later on in the same chapter, verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And there's the key. Church, if you're a Christian, would you just raise your hand for a moment? That should be all of us. Jesus picked me and he picked you. And when he picked you, he appointed you to a specific purpose. He didn't just pick you so that you could call yourself a Christian. And everyone who raised their hands a moment ago should be able to articulate to somebody else what your purpose is and what your testimony is. When last have you spoken to someone about what you feel that God has for your life? When last have you shared your testimony with somebody else? Do, you, do your children even know what your purpose is and what your testimony is? Church, this is how we build kingdom. What is it that Christ has appointed you to do? Now that you're saved, now that you're His, He says, I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. This is the purpose of the Christian life. The Christian life is anchored because the future is all about our hope. And I want to add this. That hope awaits the outcome. You can write that down. The, that hope awaits the outcome. As believers, church, every day we're closer to heaven. The outcome is better for us every day. Every day. And you know what? You may not understand this. You may not comprehend this. You may know this theologically. But why is that moment that we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, the moment that we are born again, why don't we just drop dead at that moment and go straight to heaven? Why do you keep living on in this world that is in decay? Why put up with cancer and why put up with pain, with the problems of this world? Why put up with relationship issues and, and depression? Why not just go straight to heaven? Wouldn't that be great? Maybe for some... <laughs> And God can't, can't God do that? Of course He can. So why hang around you? But listen to this this morning, church. The Bible tells us that it's for our benefit in the end, standing before God, we will actually be able to admit that it was for, better for us to have stayed on this earth to our appointed time. When we stand before God, we'll understand why He kept us here. And when we die, or we get raptured and go to heaven, and on the judgment day, you and I are going to have to give an account and respond to the Lord to the opportunities that we were faithful to in this life. And we're going to be rewarded for what we've done. 
And you may say that you, you don't care about that now. I think you'll care about that on the day. And you may say, you know what, I'm a humble person. You know, it's okay, Jesus, I don't, I don't need those rewards. But it says in the Bible that on the judgment day we will stand before Christ and then we will be rewarded. And it appears from the book of Revelation that we will take those rewards, we will take those crowns and then cast it at His feet and then worship Him. It goes back to Him. So you see, that all of a sudden, that, that changes the dynamic. It changes why I do what I want to do. I want to have the motivation that pleases God in this life to obey Him, not just because I, I'm going to get a big mansion of rewards when I go to heaven one day and say, walk around saying, hey guys, look at my mansion. Look at my rewards. No. We're going to be rewarded and that moment we're going to turn right around with those rewards, with a volume of what we've been faithful to Christ and cast it back at Him. It goes to His benefit. And all of a sudden, church, all of a sudden, I'm going to want to be faithful. I'm going to want to obey Him. I'm going to want to call upon the Father and I'm going to do it in hope. Because the future for the believer is anchored in hope and that day is coming when the outcome is going to be awesome. Come on. And it's going to be all about Him. Not about me, not about you. And it's going to be about Him. And that matters to everyone here this morning if you love Him. Because if you love Him, we want to bless Him. And if you love Him, it's because you realize that He loved you first. Because He paid the ultimate price for you and I to get into heaven. The outcome is amazing. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I just want to be clear this morning, Jesus is not talking about killing yourself. He's not talking about anything physical like that. Jesus is saying, take this life that you've been given, stop living it for yourself because that's a dead end. If you're going to live for yourself, you're going to wind up dying in the end anyway, and without God, that's going to be a catastrophe. But rather take the life that you've been given and invest it into the glory of Jesus. Invest it into what God wants to do in and through you and find out what that is. And Jesus is saying, that's giving up your life. That's losing your life for me. And when you give up your life, when you give it back to God, the outcome is amazing. The outcome is spectacular. It ends well with us, church. And I think that's a fairly simple principle to grasp this, this morning, isn't it? Say amen if you believe that. And Peter goes on to say, still in verse 17, it's so, this verse is so rich with wisdom. The third part of the verse, it says, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now let's just think about that for a moment. Conduct means to manage yourself, to make decisions. The word means to think ahead, to plan for yourself as a believer throughout the time of your stay. So what is he saying? What Peter is saying, he's talking about our lifetime here on earth. And he calls it a stay. A brief visit or a stopover. That's what the word means. Now remember this shouldn't surprise us because in the beginning of the chapter it said we refers to us as pilgrims or sojourners or foreigners. 
So now he says we're just stopping over in this world. We're on our way to our ultimate destination and we're just passing by. And it's the difference, I guess, church, between reaching your ultimate holiday destination and a stopover on your way there. For instance, if you go to Cape Town and you don't catch a flight, you, you drive through, you're going to stop over on your way there because it's a, it's a long drive. You're going to stop over in Colesburg or Hanover. Where did you stop that time? Colesburg, right? But how long do you want to stay there? As short as possible, right? Because you want to get to your destination. Church, this world is a stopover. It's a stopover. We need to start thinking in terms of eternity. And you may say, Pastor, you know what? I drove through the most affluent area in, in, in the south of Johannesburg this week and I saw an 1,800 square meter home that is worth all these multiple millions of rands and it's got everything that opens and closes and it's beautiful and it's, and it's wow. Stopover. According to God for the believer, it's an overnight stay for us right here in this world. And whatever we accumulate, we can't take with us. And you know what I like that? But it keeps, keeps you and I from digging down our roots into this world and getting comfortable in this world because we're just passing by. We are nomadic in nature. We are on the move. And we are spiritually with those that Peter was talking to 2,000 years ago. And that's a good way to live your life. And you may say, well, pastor, you know, I'm eating healthy and my, my family lives to the average age of 95. I've got this health thing figured out. I'm taking Herbalife supplements and I'm, <laughs> I'm taking lots of vitamins and I'm training every day and I'm going to live to the ripe old age of 100 years of age. Okay. I don't know how long you're going to live, but according to heaven where we're going, a 100-year-old life is just but a vapor. We're just passing by. This is just a stopover. And Peter is saying in this brief moment, and, and this is the point, Peter is saying for this brief moment that you have in this life, invest it into the things of God. And you know what? I love that. Because when you start to think in terms of eternity, it really makes sense. Our hope is secure in the outcome. We have an eternity with the Lord. And then we maybe need to ask ourselves the question, why are we so insecure about our stopover? One of the most significant and precious verses you'll ever read is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And this kind of outcome inspires hope in me and causes a sense of awe. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And to me, that's, that's awe-inspiring. That my God is so powerful, yet He is willing to put up with me to work with me, to mold me day by day to the person that he wants to see. And he's not going to stop until Jesus comes back to fetch me. And that causes me to have a reverential awe and wonder and, and love for my God. And you know what? I love that security. But you may be sitting there this morning and still asking the question, how do I know my hope is secure? How do I know that my life is anchored? Because I've done things in my life that you can't imagine. Let me say this this morning. The Christian life is anchored in our future outcome because the past is all about your faith. Let me explain that. We talked about the future a moment ago and hope and that your future is bound to hope. And that as Christians we should never give up on hope because we have a future. And because that's true, we consider this, the past. 
Listen, church, the past will kill you unless you have hope in the future. I think every one of us can attest to that fact. If we hold on to our past, we will never have hope in, in the, in a, for a better future. And isn't that relevant to so many di political differences that we are facing in our world today? We want to move forward in hope, with hope, but we can't seem to let go of our past. But here's the great thing as a believer. Your past is completely dealt with. Church, your past is completely dealt with by faith, and I'm happy to report to you this morning that our faith in Christ deals with our past. And you know what? It might sound like a simple principle, but do we actually confess these words over our lives enough? Do we speak these things of our life? These truth, these basic principles that are in, in the Bible? You see, the past no longer has a hold in us. We are no longer victimized by our past. And this is awesome to me. And faith is knowing the method by which God does this. In verse 18, in 1 Peter, it says that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Say amen to that. Amen. <laughs> the word means, it implies from the Roman world that you were not purchased as a slave with silver and gold. You see, this is how you would buy a slave in those days. But we were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not by the corruptible things of this world. Now church, am I building some, some faith and hope in you this morning? We were delivered that by, from the power of God. Your past and my past is washed away. It's gone. And that moment of faith and what Christ did on the cross washes, all, washes away all the stuff of our lives that today we're embarrassed of and ashamed about. Church, and I'll be vulnerable with you this morning. There are sins that I committed in my life as a young person before I came to know the Lord that I'm ashamed of. Not to say that you're perfect once you give yourself to the Lord. And you know what? No one knows about it. And don't come ask me because I'm not going to tell you either. <laughs> and when it comes to my memory, for some reason, you know, you're still ashamed. Even though the Bible says that God no longer has memory of my sins. As far as the east is from the west, so have far have I removed my sins from you, says the Lord. Only God can forget our sins. Because you and I are very aware of what happened to us. We were all young and, shall I say, young and dumb once. As young as stupid. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, young people, I'm not saying you're stupid. You just do stupid things when you're young. <laughs> Come on, we all have our day, we all have our time. And you know, we're ashamed about that. <laughs> now we're just young, yeah. But you know, by faith... I turn to, to the Word of God. I turn around with a shame and I say, Wait, Lord, your Bible said that all those who, who trust in you shall not be put to shame. So, Lord, I'm going straight to the cross right now with that old memory and I'm going to come to Jesus Christ in the power of Jesus Christ in His forgiveness and I'm going to leave it there. God, thank you. Faith deals with my past. Faith in Christ has dealt with my past. And you know what? Many, many Christians need to be delivered from that, to be freed from that. Because too many Christians are living in the past. And can I say, many Christians need to stop talking about your past? Stop talking about it. You're giving it life. Let it go, and, and people are tired of hearing about it. 
By faith, put a nail in it. It was crucified at the cross with Christ. And focus on the future hope that God has for you. And I'm so grateful that the Bible says this. Because if you go mention silver and gold in the marketplace, you'll get, you'll get many people's attention. But when the corruptible things run out, you're on your own, my friend. God says, hang on a moment. I redeemed you forever. In my economy, my own economy operates on blood. Not this rubbish of silver and gold. My economy operates on the blood of Jesus. Church, is, is blood on your body? Is blood on your mind? Is blood on your spirit? Has Jesus washed you clean? The Bible says, God says, I've redeemed you by the blood of my son. Not with silver and gold and not with, with trash like that. I'm going to close with this today. The Bible says in the last days, right before the end of the world, men will scour to and fro in the earth, trying to gather enough gold and silver, and they'll trust in those things right before the end. Have you, have you turned on the TV lately? Have you read your newspaper? That's what the world's trusting in. They're trusting in silver and gold, and they're trusting in corruptible things. But we operate from a different economy. Our hope comes from a different source, amen? And because we operate from a different economy, a different kingdom, we need to be the light of the world that has become dependent on corruptible things. Church, because of the work of Christ in us, we need to be the hope of this world. So you know what? Let's be the radical ones that stand for justice and stand for compassion and truth, that bring hope and, and that love unconditionally. And let's get to the place in our lives, church, where we can truly articulate to someone else what our purpose is and what our testimony is. Let's build kingdom together. And remember, whatever we accumulate in this world, we can't take with us. So let's live this life. Let's live this stopover, knowing that our hope is secure in the outcome of eternal life with our Lord Jesus. And because of this truth, because of what the Word of God says, because of what God's, God's doing in my life, I have a hope that is unwavering. And I want you to have that hope this morning too. And I want you to let go this morning of everything in your past that is still holding you back, that is preventing you from living the ultimate life that Jesus died on the cross for. Please stand with me, church. Let's just stand for a moment and let's Close our eyes and, and bow our heads and let's just commit this time and thank the Lord for His Word this morning. Let's just seal this Word. Father, this morning we just want to thank You for Your truth. Thank You for Your Word, Lord. We, Lord, we want to thank You for Your love and for Your grace. Almighty God, we want to thank You that through Jesus Christ we have hope and faith that abides. We have a hope that is unwavering. We thank you, Lord, that you're the God that keeps your word, and we thank you that all of it is because of the blood of Jesus. We just want to honor you and glorify you in this place today. And everyone said, Amen. So church, just keep standing. If you just keep your eyes closed for a moment or two again, just keep your heads bowed. I just want to make an invite this morning to, to a couple of people. You see, there might be someone here today and today is their moment, right where they're at. Maybe today is the day, and you're saying, 
Something's happening in my heart and I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been religious up until now. I've, I've been confused up until now. And today it's just clicked with me. But today I know that I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not a follower of this world, not a follower even of this church, but a follower of Jesus Christ. Today is the day that I want to do this. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you this morning. Would you raise your hand if that's you? If that's you, would you raise your hand? The Lord's speaking to you this morning. Today is the day, church. Don't, don't worry about everyone else around you. This is between you and God. The second call I want to make to you this morning is those of you feel that you've lost your hope. Even to a very small degree, if you feel like you've lost your hope this morning, something has happened in your life and you can't live the life that God purposed for you to do. I want you to come and surrender that at the altar this morning. Come forward this morning. We're going to pray with you. We're going to confess the promises of God over your life today. The life that He's called you to do. And also this morning, if you are unable to articulate what God has for you, what His purpose is for you, and you're also unable to articulate what, what the testimony, what God has done in your life, come forward and we're going to pray with you today. And today is going to be the, the day where we start. Please stand with us, church. We're going to end off in a, with a praise song this morning. The song that we started this morning. And let's just end with the joy in our hearts. So thank you for being with us here this morning. When we finish the song, you can go through to the Connect Cafe. Come and fellowship with us there. And if anyone else needs prayer, the good Lord speak into your heart, but you, you want to come and just speak to us individually, you're welcome to do so after the service. Have a blessed week and thank you for being with us here today.